And to give you kind of again a reminder of the timeline, this is between the first Passover of his public ministry and the second Passover of his public ministry. But I want to kind of stop initially and remind us of something. There is this Christian doctrine called the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not found in the Scriptures. And it's one of those things, if you try to describe it, you become a heretic. Because there's no real way to describe the Trinity. And yet it's, it's real and it's actual. And as a result, when we take a look at Jesus' life and ministry, we have a tendency to think of him as this guy, this good guy, who then we do call the Son of God, who ministered and kind of wanders around and uh, does all these miracles, and he becomes and he dies for our sins and is raised from the dead and becomes our Savior. And we kind of divorce him, if you will, from the rest of the Trinity while he's here on earth. But as we've looked at the beginning and through Jesus' ministry, he, God the Father said, this is my son. Listen to him. Jesus himself during his ministry says, I see what the Father is doing and I do that. So all of Jesus' ministry is focused, if you will, on what God the Father is doing and God the Son accomplishes what the will of God the Father is. But that doesn't leave out God the Holy Spirit. And in today's message, we're going to see how the Spirit is involved in Jesus' ministry. So when Jesus is ministering, it's the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit ministering. It's just not this man slash God who does good on earth. And so uh, the first few verses we're going to take a look at kind of following his his life ministry is in Luke chapter 8. We look at the first three verses and then we'll move to the other part. So soon afterwards, he began going around from one city and village to another, proclaiming and preaching the kingdom of God. So we see, again, Jesus is on the circuit ministry, usually through Galilee and in other places, and he continues. He doesn't set up a big, massive building or tent uh, for all the people to come to him. He is going out and about, which is something we should consider. We're always thinking about, well, how do we get people in church? Well, one of the things to get people in church is to go out to them and minister to them, following Jesus' model of going and ministering. And again, Jesus, we're, we're oftentimes so hung up on the various ministries and miracles and whatever, but yet Jesus concentrates on preaching the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. And the twelve were with him, and also some women who had been healed who had been healed of evil spirits and sickness. Mary, who is called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out, and Joanna, the wife of Chusa, and Herod Stewart, and Susanna, and many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. And so we see these groups of disciples. Now the twelve 
get all the credit, if you will, uh, because they will eventually, 11 of them will become the apostles. There are others, there are at least two others who are with Jesus the entire time because when they lose Judas, they will pick from that and they want someone who has been with Jesus and them the entire time. So again, in the various films, I don't know, it's because they're trying to cut down on budgetary costs, whatever, we usually see Jesus and 12 people wandering around. Well, there's more than 12 people with Jesus. And in addition, not only to are there his disciples, eventual apostles, but there are women who are vital to the ministry because they're contributing out of their resources for the ministry. And sometimes that's one of the most vital things somebody do. They go, well, I can't go out. I can't do this. I can't do that. Well, there are two things you can do and never move. One, you can pray. And two, you can give. Now, I'm going to stop there because everybody goes, well, when I come to church, all you ever talk about is money. I'm done with talking about money. All right? So, they are contributing to Jesus' support. So then let's take a look at Matthew chapter 12, starting with verse 22. So while Jesus is doing these things and ministering, then a demon-possessed man who is blind and mute was brought to Jesus. Now I want, to, I want you to kind of stop there because we read past that. But think about this individual. It's bad enough that he's blind, I mean that he's blind, which means he can't see. And he can't speak, which he can't communicate. He can't see what's going on and he can't communicate what's going with inside. And on top of that, he's demon-possessed. He has this evil spirit. So he is, to put it mildly, in a world of hurt, both physically and spiritually. And they brought him to Jesus and he healed him so that the mute man spoke and saw. Jesus, when he provides provides the entire healing. Yes, not only did he remove the demon possession from the man, but he healed him so that he could see and healed him so that he could speak. All too often we're, we think about Jesus as just doing one thing. Jesus makes us whole. And all the crowds were amazed. And they were saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? So they're starting to say, wait a minute. Maybe what we have been taught, maybe what we have read from the scriptures of those who were able to read or, or hear in synagogue, because their interpretation of the scriptures when it came to the Messiah was that he would be the son of David. And the son of David was a warrior king. He started out defeating Goliath. And if you needed another giant, there was Rome. And they're going, well, mate, but wait a minute. This, David's a warrior king. This guy goes around healing and preaching. Maybe we have to change our thinking about who the Messiah is. Now, unfortunately, the Pharisees would have none of that. But when the Pharisees heard this, they said, this man cast out demons 
only by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. So they attribute Jesus' miracles and his conquering over evil spirits by Satan himself. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said to them, Any kingdom but divided against itself is laid waste, and any city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he is divided against himself, how then will his kingdom stand? So his first argument, in essence, is if you have war within your own kingdom or within your own household, your household, your kingdom is weakened. In the history of our country, we have acknowledged that way back. Benjamin Franklin said, Surely we shall all hang together or we will all hang separately. Abraham Lincoln talked about a house divided against itself. We understand the concept that when a nation is at war, it is no longer strong. So Jesus is saying from a logical point of view, if I were that, then Satan's kingdom will be laid waste. And then he provides a second argument. If I, by Beelzebub, cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? Because, well, wait a minute, your sons, and in this, I don't think he's talking about the DNA sons. I think he's talking about those who are their disciples. And they go around casting, uh, trying or at least attempting to cast out demons. And those of you who have seen some movies about demon possession, see how the struggle happens and there's all these prayers. And Jesus just goes, go. So he says, if I do it by Satan, then who do your sons do it by? So he places it right at home. For this reason, they will be your judges. If they're casting out demons by the Spirit and power of God, then they will judge you. Notice it says, but if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. This is where, again, Jesus not only does and sees what the Father is doing, His power, His ability comes through the Spirit of God. So God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is all involved in Jesus' ministry. He's not just some guy who's wandering around, and he's not just a good teacher, and he's not just a miracle worker. He is not only the Son of God, he is God. And his ministry and his life is totally immersed in the Godhead. He's not divorced from it. And he says to them, if I then do my casting out of demons, by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Deal with it. Or how can anyone enter the strong man's house and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? So Jesus has said, in order to do these things, you, you must be strong. 
And that is what the power of God through the Holy Spirit has given me. And I'm able to do these things. And then Jesus says something here that we don't really agree with. He who is not with me is against me. We think that if we're neutral, we're neutral. Neutral people are not neutral. They're opposed to God. If you're not with me, you are against me. There's no neutrality when it comes to the kingdom of God or the power of God. And he who does not gather with me scatters. Not only are you theoretically no longer neutral, your work is against what I'm doing. I'm attempting to gather in and you're scattering. You're working against me even in your so-called neutrality. So, again, we are either with God or we're opposed to Him. Therefore, I say to you, any sin and blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the Holy, against the Spirit shall not be forgiven. That is what we call the unpardonable sin. There is, we have this notion that God is just up there wanting to forgive everything and it doesn't matter what we do and it's just okay. And He is a forgiver of sins. But there is a sin He will not forgive and that is a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man, it shall be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it shall not be forgiven him, either in this age or the age to come. It's a permanent unforgiveness. Now, if you initially take a look at the, or you go, well, wait a minute. They just spoke against Jesus. They say, well, Jesus did these things. They were speaking against Jesus. No, because Jesus said, I do these things by the power of the Holy Spirit, and you have blasphemed the Holy Spirit. Because my power comes not from me, but from the Holy Spirit. And you just said that the Holy Spirit's power was in essence Satan. And we will see in the weeks to come how Jesus manifests this lack of forgiveness. Now I remember when I was a, a, young, a young person, when I heard about this, I kind of panicked. Because the last thing, when you know you're a sinner, the last thing you want is never to be forgiven. Even if you don't want to come to Jesus at the particular time, you're saying, well, someday I'll come to Jesus. I just want to live my life the way I do. But, but I, I want forgiveness eventually, but I still want to have fun. So we're still hoping to have forgiveness. But the idea that you'll never be forgiven is scary. And I remember as a young man there, and I won't tell you his name. Those of you of my age will probably know who he is. There was this uh, gentleman who was on television. He was called Reverend, and then I won't say his name. And he uh, had a TV ministry, and he was a very gaudy and gauche person, and, and it was all pretty much 
God wants you to be wealthy and God wants all these things. And if you send me a lot of money, you'll be wealthy and, and whatever. And, and I said that he wasn't a Christian. And I go, did I violate that because I judged what he was doing? And maybe he was a Christian, just maybe whatever. And I kind of panicked. Let me tell you on first-hand experience, if you panic, you didn't commit the unpardonable sin. Because God no longer wants to draw you to Him. He keeps distance. The fact that you're afraid that God won't come to you means you didn't commit the unpardonable sin. However, there are certain things that we shouldn't say. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. So for the tree is known by its fruit. Again, we are to be fruit inspectors primarily of our own lives. But also those who claim to preach the Word of God. And so this reverend that I was speaking of had bad fruits. And then gentle, meek Jesus, who never wanted to irritate anybody, you brood of vipers. Kind of sounds like John. But again, this is meek, mild Jesus, who never gets to and just wants everything. You brood of vipers. You brood of snakes. You, being evil. Not just bad, not just terrible. You being evil. Evil, and these are the Pharisees, these are the religious establishment, these are the people who are preaching and teaching in the synagogues and performing all these things in the temple. You being evil, speak what is good, for the mouth speaks out of that which fills the heart. The good man brings out his good treasures, what is good, and the evil man brings out of his evil treasures, what is evil. He's saying, the fact that you're branding my ministry out of Satan tells you exactly what's in your heart. You're not interested in whether I am the Son of God. You're not interested in whether I am the Messiah. You're interested in keeping your power. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak they shall be given accounting for what it is in the day of judgment. Now, the things I say, the things you say, you will bring an account. Which means I probably need to speak less in the car. Because I say a lot of bad things in the car, especially when idiots are out there driving around with me. And I'll have to render an account. And that's going to be a, oh, oh, yeah, Lord, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I did that too. Oh, yeah. So maybe we should talk less and listen more, because then we have less to give an accounting of. But I tell you that every careless word that people speak, they shall give an accounting for it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified and by your words you will be condemned. 
I like much better when Jesus says, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that those who believe in him should not perish but have ever loved. I love that, those messages. This is equally as true. Now we're going to jump down to verse 43. Now when the unclean spirit goes out of a man, this is Jesus still talking, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and does not find it. Jesus is saying, this is what happens after a spiritual battle. If the evil spirit is cast out, he in essence goes through water, he goes through the desert. The representation being here is the lack of blessings of God. God's blessings are looked at at the rain. The rain comes and the rain falls on the just and the unjust. But it's the blessings of God. And, God. and Jesus is saying, when this evil spirit goes, he's not finding any blessings of God. He's going through the desert, through the waterless places. Seeking rest and he does not find it. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds it unoccupied, swept, and put in order. So this evil spirit, for some reason, leaves. The person who had the evil spirit cleans house. He turns over a new leaf. He does, sweeps out his house. It's clean. It's, it's there. But he doesn't allow someone else to occupy it. If you will, the temple is empty of any resident. Then it goes and takes along with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself. And they will go in and live there. And the last state of that man becomes worse than the first. You see, when you come to understand that you are a sinner, God is not asking for you to turn over a new leaf. God is not asking you to get your life back together. God is not asking for you to make you a better you. God's saying, let me enter in. Let me dwell within you, and I will give you rest, and I will change you, and I will make you who you need to be, and I will be your protector. No one will enter the, the house because I am the strong man. But then he compares it and he says, that is the way it will also be with this evil generation. They think if they follow the law, if they do all these things, they're going to be fine. And Jesus is saying, no, it won't. You may clean the house. You may polish the silver. But the wrong spirit will occupy it. You will either be occupied by those who are opposed to Jesus or those who are for him. Since I didn't want to end on that high mark, I chose to, to look at the following verses. Verse 46. And while he was still speaking to the crowd, behold, his mother and brothers were standing outside seeking to speak to him. 
Now his mother and brothers oftentimes show up. Our good Catholic brothers and sisters think that Jesus was the only product of Mary. And so they said, say that Mary was a virgin before, after, in all ways. Here the scriptures clearly seem to teach otherwise. And to say, oh, well, they're, they're not talking about his, his half-brothers like James and, and, and Jude and others. Uh, this verse doesn't make any sense because he's saying people are not related to me or like people related to me. So these are. Now, unfortunately, during Jesus' ministry, his brothers tended to think he was crazy. They didn't follow him. And they would frequently come to because they thought he was a little crazy and to bring him home. That's one of the reasons why we can believe in the resurrection. Because the resurrection changed James' view of who Jesus is. He went from unbeliever, I think my brother's crazy, to he's the son of the living God. So they come. And they want to speak to him. And someone said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are here standing outside seeking to speak to you. But Jesus answered the one who was telling him and said, Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Strange question. If you look at it from a pure physical, because it's like, you ought to know who your mother is. She raised you. You lived in a house until you were 30 with your brothers. Making a point. He asked, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples. Not everybody. Towards his disciples. And said, Behold my mother and my brother. Now this to me is a remarkable statement. I could understand if he said, Behold my brothers. Because brothers are kind of co-equal. But he said, Behold my mother and my brother. Because my mother has some authority. Behold my mother and my brothers pointing to his disciples. For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, in case you don't understand which Father we're talking about, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, he is my brother and sisters and mother. We love to talk about forgiveness. We love to talk about grace. We don't like so much talking about doing the will of God. And to be a part of the family of God is to do the will of God. Now, in case you think, oh, he's talking, we've got to do all the Ten Commandments. Let me... It's amazing. People say, well, what is the will of God? The Scriptures tell us throughout the will of God. One, one of the things the will of God is, is to treat our body as sanctified, as holy. 
One of the wills of God is to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. That God raised him from the dead. And that we are to confess he is our Lord. We have been commanded, it is his will, that we love one another as Jesus has loved us. We're even told we're to pray for people that that is God's will. We're told that we're to pray for our government. That is God's will. Throughout the scriptures, it tells us what the will of God is. But you see, we generally don't want to love each other the way Jesus loved us, because then I've got to give up my rights. And I'm mad at you. I want to be mad at you. I don't want to forgive you. How dare you treat me that way? I want to hold on to it. Jesus said, don't hold on to anything. Love. See the will of God and do it. And then we can say in trueness, Jesus is my brother. He's not just my Lord. He's my brother because we're family. We're not DNA. I'm family because of his blood. I'm family because I do the same will that he did. And when I do the same will that he did, then the Holy Spirit gives me the same power that he has to conduct myself the way Jesus did. We're going to sing a song. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. But I'm a part of the family of God. Not because I'm wonderful, but because He's wonderful and given me the opportunity to be in His family. I'm in His family because I am and continue to try to do the will of the Father. And all God's people said,